0: Would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 7? There's two main things that we do in our service, services. One of them is gather around God's word. The other one is we lift our voices to sing. I'm just about moved to tears as we finish that song. Maybe some of you are too. Get it together, Lizelle. We've got to get it together. We've got the other half to get to. I want to ask you to go with me back in time to a cold night in 1989 when there were two teenagers who were standing in a line they never thought they would have to stand in. And one of them kept asking the same question over and over again. What do I say? What can I do? The two brothers were myself and my older brother, Bob, I was 15 years old, Bob was 16, and we were standing in line at a funeral home, and it was a long line at this particular visitation. And as we were going through the line, we didn't have mom there, and we didn't have dad there, and so I had to figure out what to say to this family who was mourning the loss. Most funerals or visitations are time when we are celebrating a life well lived, Looking back at the wonderful things we can talk about from a life of someone who's lived a good full amount of years. And this funeral was not that. This funeral was lamenting a life that, that should have been. My friend Andy was getting off the bus one day. He was about nine years younger than me and he, he crossed the road after getting off the bus. And for some reason, he after the bus was gone, he crossed the other way and Andy was hit by a car and killed instantly. Good friend of the family. We were in a large church, uh, just about 150, 200 people where I grew up. And Andy's mom, Teresa, and dad, Donnie, had to stand there and have people go through the line, try to give some word of consolation. And I can remember thinking, what do I say? I can't remember what I said to Teresa when I got to the front of the line, but I do remember exactly what she said to me because she grabbed a hold of me and hugged me. And she said to Bobby, and you know, I, she said, uh, Andy, loved playing with you guys so much. When we face pain, pain on this side of heaven that sometimes feels like we have no answer for it, What do we need? What kind of a word can be said to give any kind of consolation at a time like that? What we're going to see in God's word today is that Jesus Christ knows our pain. He knows the pain that is ahead of us. And Jesus Christ serves as the example for what we need to do in this world as we are surrounded with individuals who, three things for you to pay attention to here. Individuals who have incredible pain in their past. Individuals who are facing extreme pain today. And individuals who have some pain that is just around the corner. All that to bring us to Luke chapter 7. Jesus Christ is so good to give us this glimpse into his life of the experiences that he had. There are miracles taking place, but as we saw last time when we studied the, the centurion servant getting healed, it wasn't necessarily about the centurion servant getting healed, it was about the faith that astounded Jesus. And so today we're going to see another miracle. But I want to suggest there is something for us to pull away from this. Jesus Christ gives us this record of his example. And there is something that is so sweet and so special for us to learn. All that to take us to Luke 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible um, in the pew rack in front of you. And it's page 980 on that pew Bible if you're using that. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that and keep that as our gift gift. To you. I'm going to break this into four different sections for us, and it's going to uh, contain things that are very sad and things that are very exciting. And the first point reflects that. First, we're going to see a party crashes into a funeral. So we've got individuals that are following Christ, and this is an exciting time for those people. They've just left that one miracle of the centurion servant getting healed, and now they're on the move. And they're going to run into a different group. A group that's making noise, but they're not making noise because of the celebration. Go ahead and look at verse 11 with me of Luke 7. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called called Nain, And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So here's two crowds that we find. One crowd has Jesus Christ at the front. Leading the way, they've just left the north side of the Sea of Galilee. They travel about 20 miles. This town of of Nain is not a big town. It says they came to the gate, but it's most likely it did not have walls all the way around it. Sometimes in some cities, they wouldn't have walls, but they would still have a gate. So you knew when you came to this town, it would have the title over it. And that's where these two groups collide. I want to ask you, if you were part of our study last time, to do some comparison with what we find here with Jesus and his miracle. And the last time, if you weren't part of our study last time, there was a centurion who sent some of his friends, Jewish friends, to go to Jesus and say, Will you heal my servant? That's what the centurion wanted. And we learned about this incredible faith, that Jesus hadn't seen that in anybody else. It was found in a Gentile of all people. But we find a difference here in this story because there's no request. Here is a miracle worker. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing people. He's done some incredible teaching. This is the beginning of his ministry still. And as Jesus is going, nobody is running after that group saying, We need the miracle worker over here. Instead, this woman who has lost her only son, she is weeping. And the community has gathered around her. It says here there's a, there's a good sized crowd. The community has gathered around her, they knew what she was facing. I can't be completely sure of her financial situation, but in that day, if you lost your husband and you lost your only son, it was kind of a ticket to the begging line. Not only that, the loneliness that would be ahead of her. No grandchildren to look forward to. Poverty. And no one is going after Jesus Christ. Instead, Jesus Christ here simply invades her life. No request is made. Can you imagine where your life would be if Jesus only got involved in the times when you asked him to be involved? How different what our lives look. Does he hear us when we call out to him? Shake your heads, yes or no? Yes, he does. But so often he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he invades our life when he knows what we need. Let's shift shift the focus from these two crowds to the two individuals that are at the heart of the crowds. And here we're going to find that Pain, the worst kind of pain, losing a child, meets compassion. The best kind of compassion. Can you picture Jesus' group traveling about 20 miles from where they were? The commotion, the dust flying up behind them, wondering where they're going. This is the Messiah, some of them would believe and every now and then as the group is traveling there seems to be a sound in the distance it seems like jesus it seems like there's a there's a noise coming quiet quiet down for a second listen is that and the sound was wailing In those days, they would wail at funerals. They would even hire sometimes individuals to come and to wail. Some were very good at that screaming. Some of you probably could get paid to do that, right? With as loud as you can scream. The wailing that would take place at a funeral, and they could hear that. And when some in the group and some of these followers of Jesus, his disciples that wanted to protect him, I'm sure that some of them, when they recognized this was a funeral, that they would have said, Jesus, we need to We we need to make a move here and go around this. This is a funeral procession, Jesus. Let's not get in their way. And for sure, let's not allow them to put a dampening on our party. It's party time, Jesus. We're with you. Christ will have none of that. There is no avoiding the painful situations in life from our Savior. And he intentionally goes and meets with this group. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Very simply, Jesus' heart goes out to her. That's how we would say that today. He sees her, and he has compassion. If you study the life of Christ, you will find compassion coming up again and again. You will find him one day uh, when he's, he's healing, he's teaching, he's working, he's exhausted. And at that point, it's in Matthew 9, I believe it says that he turns, and after he's been working, he's got nothing left in him. He turns and he sees the crowds, and he has compassion on them because he sees them as sheep who are moving about and being bothered, sheep without a shepherd. And what's beautiful about that picture of Jesus' compassion is because he stops and he recognizes that they need him as a shepherd, but you might not be familiar with that story, but the verse that follows, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know the verse that He says next. If you've been part of a missionary presentation, you know the church that's com- you know the verse that's coming. Because Jesus Christ, when he looks at them and has compassion on them, as sheep without a shepherd, it's at that point that very clearly he says, the harvest is ready to be taken up, but the laborers are few. Jesus Christ is going to show us a wonderful example, and he's also going to give us a challenge of what to do. His heart goes out to her he had compassion when he saw the crowd that looked like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion among his friends. He had close friends that experienced pain. Jesus, you have to come. You have to come. Your friend Lazarus is sick. You have to come. He's sick. Is it serious? Okay, let's wait a couple days. That's what Jesus did. You have to come. He's sick. And the disciples are taking this in and asking questions and giving advice. Jesus Christ goes after Lazarus is dead. And the two sisters, Mary and Martha, that Jesus loved, and he loved Lazarus as well. They're there, and one at a time, they meet him. And they both say the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. They said the same thing and they did the same thing. They wept. They lamented the loss of their brother. Jesus Christ, at that point, is not overcome with the loss of Lazarus. He's overcome with the pain of these that are around him. And some of you, one of the first verses you memorized was John eleven thirty five, 35, right? Can you say it with me? Jesus wept. He weeps not because of Lazarus. He weeps because of the sisters and the compassion. In fact, if you do a study, and I recommend it, if you do a study of all the times in the Bible where someone was raised from the dead, they're all a result of compassion. Jesus has three instances that are recorded for us in the New Testament. The Old Testament has great stories of that. And they're all, with one exception, a result of compassion. Jesus, or the Old Testament prophet, saw the loss and saw the pain and had compassion. I will tell you the one exception, and I'd point you to that study. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's very colorful, because it was with the Old Testament prophet Elisha. Now, Elisha was dead at this point, and his body had decayed, and he was in a tomb. Someone else had died, and there were some guys who were trying to bury him, get rid of his body in some way, and then they saw some danger coming. Maybe a, a band of robbers or something are coming, and so they have to hurry up this, this getting rid of the body And so they find Elisha's tomb and open it up, and they throw that dead body in on Elisha's bones. And can you guess what happened when that dead body touched Elisha's bones? Stood up. I wonder, boy, I hope I get to talk to those guys someday about that and what they thought, and when that guy showed back up in town. Now, every other instance of someone being brought back from the dead Has at the heart of it what is at the heart of Jesus Christ in our story today. He goes up to that woman. He wasn't like me in line saying, What am I gonna say? What am I gonna say? What am I gonna say? Jesus says, Stop your crying. By the way, none of you get to say that at a funeral. None of you. You don't get to go up and say, Big girls don't cry when they've lost someone. Jesus Christ gets a pass, and he can say it. Why? Because he has the authority over death. He has the authority over disease and sickness. He has the authority over weather. He has the authority over demons. And now he's going to, for the first time that's recorded for us, show he has authority over death. Who is it? do you think that is going to show compassion to individuals that are in pain that are in your circles? Who's going to do that? Who is it that will Go to that person and not just accept the the pat answer when we say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. We need to be tuned in to their voice and their body language and what's going on and ask a follow-up question. You might even be so bold to say, if you're sensing something, maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you that everything's not okay with that person. You might even say, I think you're lying. What's going on? Who is it do you think that's going to recognize the hurting people around us and is going to offer help? That's your challenge today. Your challenge is to have the same amount of compassion that Jesus Christ had. And what we're so busy with is this question, usually, what's in it for me? So when you go through your routine, when you're going from one place to another, at work, or at home, or in the marketplace, usually we are thinking, what's in it for me? What's the shortest line I can get in? I can't believe that person cut me off in traffic. What's in it for me? And we have to, like our Savior, set aside self. Most of us are consumed with the lust of the flesh And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's what's driving our hours and our time. And some people have the audacity to get in my way when I had plans. We will never be involved in a ministry of compassion unless it emerges from a heart that says Jesus Christ came to me when I was in need. He came to me when I did not want it or ask for it and Jesus Christ saved me from my sins and from a life that was worthless. And when we recognize that and when we see the example of Jesus We'll say, I will be Christ-like by showing compassion. Have you figured out how to spot Jesus yet in the crowds that he went to? There wasn't very much that was predictable about Jesus. His morning hours were predictable. He could be found somewhere off by himself praying before the sun came up. But there wasn't too much else that was predictable about Jesus. That's why the Pharisees had such a hard time with him. They could not bribe him. They could not tempt him. But one thing that we find that is predictable about Jesus, and a way that you can spot him when he goes into a crowd like this one. How can we spot Jesus when he goes into a crowd? It is very common that Jesus goes to the person that is the most in need that's where he goes here this interaction his heart goes out to this woman this is not just another funeral procession this is not just another day listen this is a real person facing real pain and you and I will come into contact with real people that have real pain It might be pain in the past. And when some people start to share their story with you, you need to cry with them. It might be pain in the present. And you might not know what to say. You might just have to be silent. It might be someone that you're connecting with that has some pain coming. They don't know it and you don't know it. But this is who we are surrounded with. Jesus' heart goes out. Not only do we find compassion, but we find a resource to help. And that's the third picture here. Compassion plus authority brings a life that was changed or brings a miracle. So Jesus is bold here. He's bold in his group. They don't dodge the funeral procession. They go up and they collide with the funeral procession. And Jesus is so bold in that he actually goes up to the front, And speaks to the woman and says, stop your crying. Can you imagine some guys that were within earshot thinking, who does that guy think he is? Is he crazy? Beyond that, Jesus Christ goes up now and he's going to touch the the stretcher, the beer it's called. It's not a casket. It's like a stretcher that the body would be on. He goes up and he interrupts this funeral procession. Now, I need to confess my sins a little bit to you today. Confession is good for the soul. And so let's go ahead and make my soul a little bit better. This past week, as I was in my car, I was driving along and there was a red light. I sailed right through it. There was another light coming up and I came up to that light. Sailed right through it. Now, I didn't break any laws. I know some of you are judging me right now. I didn't judge any laws. You see, my car was the second car in in a funeral procession. The lead guy was up there. He pulled up to a light, and as soon as the coast was clear, he would move through. And we are expected to keep moving and run those red lights. Why is that? Because in a funeral procession, The procession doesn't stop for other things. People stop for the procession. Some people even stop their cars and get out and stand next to their car as the procession comes by. Jesus Christ is not so polite. He goes up and touches the stretcher. And as he goes, he is going to add to his compassion the authority that he has over death. And that's what we see. Go ahead and look down in your text. Verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. I imagine they mumbled. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus Christ gives us a preview here of something that will happen not in a one-person scale, but in a billions-of-person scale. Jesus speaks. By the way, every time we find Christ raising the dead, the three examples we have in the New Testament Gospels, he's doing it by speaking. And there will be a day when Jesus speaks, more than one will be raised. And in that, at that time, there will be two groups of individuals. And so some will be thrilled and some will be very sorrowful. I want to read for you. You can write it down and look it up on your own. John chapter 5, starting in verse 25. It says this about Jesus speaking to the dead. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here... When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And then verse 29 says, And come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. John 5 is clearly speaking about the future when Christ will speak and all men will come forward, and there will be two groups. Over one group will be the banner that says, Forgiven. And over the other group will be the banner that says, Unforgiven. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you confident? that you will come forward and be in that group called to righteousness. All right, we've got a party, we've got a funeral, we've got a miracle worker, we've got a widow who lost her only son, and now everything turns into a big celebration. The last thing that we see is weeping turns into dancing. Initially, we find a broken-hearted mother, which led to a broken-hearted Jesus. And that turns into a party. Verse 16, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And so I close by asking us today, what can we do with a story like this? The challenge is for you to be a person of compassion. And some of you might be saying, I've been paying attention to your story, and I do want to be like Jesus Christ, but I can't do what Jesus did. He walked up to the funeral, and he said, stop your crying, and he spoke to the young man, and he sat up there. I can't do any of that. Which brings us back to the original question of me standing in line, heading towards someone that, is, that was experiencing incredible pain. What do I say? What can I do? What do I say? You need to first have the compassion of Jesus Christ and understand that individuals who have pain in their past, in their present, in their future, they're going to want to talk to somebody about that, But then in addition to that compassion, you need to have the answer. And no, you can't solve their problem for them except for this. You can tell them that you go through pain and suffering and you never go through any of it by yourself. We sang just a little bit ago, Thine own dear presence to cheer, and to guide. What can you possibly offer someone who is hurting? You can offer them Jesus. Jesus not only is here to save us and give us a home in eternity, He is here for our pains and for this journey. And no pain that you can go through is beyond the place that can be helped by Jesus Christ. And so I want you to walk around understanding that people around you have pain, either before them or coming up or right now. And you can help. You can help because Jesus saw you and was proactive and reached out. Would you change your question from what's in it for me in your daily walk to what can I do? For those who have pain, would you pray with me? Our precious Father, we praise you this day for wiping our tears away. I thank you for that day where the scripture says you will wipe all tears away. But right now it seems like I cry and those tears will dry or fall to the ground. And then I cry again. Not too many days out from that. I thank you that I'm not alone in this. I praise you, Heavenly Father, for my future, but I thank you for my today. Would you allow us as a church family to take on this challenge of Christ's likeness? The challenge of becoming like your Son, Jesus Christ, because He looked at people and He had compassion for them, He joined them in their hurt. And he offered something to help. Father, would you help us to believe that we have something to offer that can help them? While we have our heads bowed, I want to give us a chance to pray while the piano plays softly. Very simply, would you just do some business with the Lord? Maybe he wants you to be compassionate. Maybe he wants you to be looking at others and places where you go instead of yourself. Maybe ask him to make someone obvious that has some pain that you can be a help to. There may be some that are hearing this message today and they've never had Jesus in that position where he was their one that was a redeemer, forgiven. Even in this moment, you can pray. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of mankind. You are a sinner, and there is forgiveness offered in the cross. All you have to do is ask for it, and he promises to forgive and make you his child.